Why? Why? If you Why? have T-Mobile 5G home internet, you might be hearing this Why? a lot. Why? Every time your internet slows down during the busiest hours. Why? Why? Because your network gives priority to cell phone users. Why? Why? Good question. Why not switch to Cox Internet with two times faster download speeds than T-Mobile 5G home internet during peak hours? Okay. Stop the whys and visit cox.com slash 5G home for details. T-Mobile prioritizes certain T-Mobile phone users over home internet users during times of congestion. This is Tony Kornheiser's show. I'm Tony. So what exactly is the show about? It's a sports show nominally. Football's over, but we're finally at a point where things matter in college basketball and baseball season is on deck. Greatest three words in the English language, pitchers and catchers. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. Our number two of the program, and it'll be a big one at that. We got our buddy Connor Riley joining the show from Dog Nation in less than 20 minutes from now with a full breakdown of the cocktail party, and then we will let you hear from around the NFL. And our sound check as Orn and I will react to the biggest sounds from the NFL this week as we enter another huge weekend for not just the Falcons, but the entire NFL. All right, Big O, before we get to our five Falcons true and false questions, we got to ask you something. Go Where ahead. and what is your stance on Halloween A, costumes, and B, parties? In the realm of am I pro costumes and pro parties? Or yeah, like given your life where you are right now, father of one and happily married, where's your stance right now on costumes and parties for Halloween weekend, which is happening right now? Uh, I'm pro both of those. Um I think my party priorities have changed a little bit these days. Uh, instead of going to the events that might be a little bit more on the wilder side, I guess, uh, looking for the family-friendly ones will maybe, you know, sit down with other moms and other dads and have a couple of beers while the kids are in costumes and there's fun Halloween-themed events going on. But, no, we got uh, – the wife is a trooper. She is uh, – she hand-sewed – our uh, our kids' Halloween costume this year. He's going to be a Ninja Turtle, wow. so she like hand sewed like a shell and like a, an outfit for him. Like she went all out for it. Now so. hold on a second. Are we going Leonardo, Michelangelo, Donatello, or Raphael? Where are we going? We're going Michelangelo. Okay. Yeah. Is that where you feel his personality sort of? He is very fun loving and he's a very free spirit, so it fits him perfectly. Yes. Okay. So the reason I ask is because I am at a bit of a crossroads here with my Halloween ing, so to speak. Um, I am not married. I do not have a kid. So I am in the realm of the still. When when we say Halloween party, we mean. Wear as little clothing as possible, spend an inordinate amount of money on tickets and entry fees and drinks at a bar and go to costume-themed parties at either nightclubs or somebody's apartment or uh, at a bar and spend a lot of money and get really drunk and dance all night and whatever. And I'm about it. I mean, I've gone every year to something since I moved to Atlanta at the end of 2020. I've done big things, small things. One year I went to a house party, which was really fun. And then last year, one of my favorite DJs was playing at the Underground Atlanta, so I went to that, and that was really fun too. But, Oren, this year, I'm kind of not feeling it. Not, not feeling gonna, it at all? No. The, no costumes, I don't no have, parties? The Halloween spirit for me this year is just not 
ringing in like it usually does. And oh. and and I and I'm concerned, which is why I'm going to ask the audience to tweet me or text me and let me know what they think that it might be an age thing. I think I might have finally grown out of it. I'm going to be 32 in November and I kind of feel like I may have hit the plateau so to speak of Halloween parties that are not like you described where it's, you know, some chill people hanging out with some kids and some costumes and some fun movies and drinks and food and a chiller atmosphere because that for me is not really available. It's either all in or all out. I'll say this, as I've gotten older, before I was married and had a child, my priority shifted on Halloween also. It wasn't so much about going out and looking at the fun costumes and just doing it up big like that. I legitimately got joy from just, like, seeing other people, I guess, do Halloween. So, um, like, being able to hand out candy to kids and seeing how happy they get or, you know, complimenting on their costumes and seeing how, you know, just seeing how much fun they get in the holiday and how much they enjoy it and and just all of the happiness they take from it. I kind of get caught up in that now before even I had a kid and even was married. And I think that sort of – Gave me a different perspective and a new set of a, a a new a new fueling, if you will, for the Halloween. It's a Halloween circle of Halloween. life moment, if you will. Hear me out, because when you're a kid, Halloween's all about you. You are the star. You put on the costume. You get dressed up. You go trick or treating. In your late teens until about thirty, it becomes about you. It becomes about you going out. You getting dressed up. You partying. You doing shenanigans left and right on Halloween weekend. And then, as Oren just said, when you get to the parenthood stage and the you know community stage of Halloween, it goes back to being about everyone else and not about you. So it's a nice almost circle of life moment, if you will. So let me know. Is this just an age thing for me? Is this just an off year? Do you still celebrate Halloween? Do you still go out, even if you're a parent, and have your fun and go to a bar or go to a club and have fun? Or do you just kick it with the family? 404-726-0929 is the Solomon Brothers Diamond text line. And you can tweet me as well, at C. Thomas Radio. Let me know. Is it just me? Or am I am I tripping? Or is this a sort of a stage of life where I'm at thing? Let me know. All right, Oren, with that said, let's get to five Falcons True False questions. It's time for five true or false questions on the other side of the glass. Which teams in the ATL will thrive? Which teams will make you scratch your head? On Sports Radio 92.9, the game. Take it away, Big O. Okay, Falcons themed here. Uh, You mentioned that the schedule coming up for the Falcons with Tennessee, Minnesota, Arizona, New Orleans, it's a bit of an easier stretch they have going on. So got some questions that are going to focus on the next three games and then also a couple questions that are going to focus on Sunday's game against the Titans. True or false, the defense for the Falcons will record at least two turnovers in each game of the next three games. True or false? Ooh. I'm going to say false. I'm going to say Wait, did you say two of the next three games? Three. Three games. Okay. They're going to record two turnovers in each of the next three okay. games. Okay, I'm going to say false. They're going to do it in two of the next three games, and here's why. Sunday should be a gimme. I mean, if you don't get two turnovers versus the combination of Will Levis and Malik Willis, then you're not turning anybody over. And the Falcons have shown that they can get a timely interception and have had a good sack total over the last two weeks. So I think that's a gimme. That's a layup. 
The Vikings, mm, Kirk Cousins doesn't really make many mistakes, and he's got some veteran receivers that could pick up the slack even if Justin Jefferson isn't back. Um, so I'm going to say Kirk does not turn the ball over twice, but then you go to Arizona, you're either going to get Josh Dobbs or a very, very rusty Kyler Murray, which to me spells turnover all over. And James Conner, I don't think he's going to be back either, so you're going to have a lesser running back tilting the rock. So I'm going to say they get it done in two out of the three. Okay. He got 100 yards in week two. He got 100 yards rushing in week four. Sunday will be Bijan Robinson's third 100-yard rushing day of the season. Mm, I'm going to say false again just because I don't know what that surface is going to look like. If they're slip sliding away all over the place, it's going to be tough. And it may be a heavy dose of Algier and CP just trying to run it inside and hold on to that rock. Because ball security, especially for the Falcons, Desmond Ritter, is going to be of the utmost importance if you're going to be dealing with sloppy conditions. So I don't know if the totals are going to matter as much as just matriculating the ball down the field in an appropriate manner and holding on to it and making the smart decision rather than trying to hit the home run play. I think Bijan will get a representative amount of touches and a representative amount of yards simply because of what happened last weekend. Arthur Smith, as we've learned, is a big shut-you-up type of coach, which I love. I'll never forget last season when – They were playing Seattle, and the week before, it was Kyle Pitts who was taking all sorts of slack for not getting the ball and not being the worthy of where he was picked. And the first play of the game, they threw a deep ball, straight go route to Kyle Pitts down the field, and Marcus Mariota just missed them by the fingertips. So Coach Smith has shown that he is not afraid to say, hey, I'm going to take your narratives and I'm going to shove them right where the sun don't shine. Those convenient narratives he always speaks Yeah, exactly. Well, that is a convenient narrative. So I'm going to say that he doesn't get 100 yards, but it's not because he's not playing well. It's because of the way that the game dictates it. Trade deadline is coming up on Tuesday. Uh, The Falcons are right now. The the hot name that people would like to see here, Daniil Hunter, Uh, if the Falcons are to end up, Pulling off that deal and bringing him here, more than likely would have to sign him to a long-term deal. True or false, the trade deadline will yield a player on the Falcons that will not be here past this season. So you're essentially saying, are the Falcons going to go after a rental? Correct. I'm going to say false on that one as well. Make it three for three. The way that this team has sort of cleared the deck over the past three years and really made the roster from 1 through 53 guys that not only they want, but guys that fit where they're at financially. So if you're going to make a move like that and give up assets that the team has worked so hard to get in the right position over the past three seasons, I don't think you're going to do it for somebody that could walk away at the end of the year. I think this would be a situation where the team brings in somebody and then signs them to a deal if they're on an expiring contract. And that would all be negotiated in the price that they're going to pay to bring that player in in the first place. I don't think Danielle Hunter is the move. I don't think that that's what they're going to do. I would love to see them do it. I think he's just going to cost too much money, and you're going to have to give up assets to get him. So I just don't see the Falcons making a move like that because it just goes against 
what they've built over the past few seasons. Now, granted, they're going to get some room at the end of the year because there are some guys that were on one-year deals that they might not bring back. Are they going to re-sign Okuda, Campbell, Bud Dupree? There are guys on this team that don't have long-term futures with the Falcons yet, but it's TBD on what they do for the rest of the season and if they re-sign him. So they could bring in a player, yes, but no to it being on a short-term deal. Much has been made about Desmond Ritter's ability to give the football to the other team right now, whether Mm. it be through interceptions Mm -hmm. or fumbles. Mm. So your true or false question here, the next three games, Desmond Ritter will have one turnover or less per game each of the next three games. I'm going to say true. And you know what? I'm not even going to try to pretend this is fact-based or percentage-based or that I did some deep-dive analytics on this. This this is on a wing and a prayer, baby. (laughs) Who could it be? Believe it or not, it's just number nine. Nah, man, he needs to, as we talked about to start the show, this is a huge game for Desmond Ritter coming up. He has the ability to go out despite the conditions and throw for a big number of yards for – decent amount of touchdowns, and not turn the ball over because this Titans defense is not scaring anybody right now. Minus Kevin Byard, who's one of the best safeties in the league. They have a good front, but not much else. So he should be able to exploit their secondary. And if he doesn't, and if it's more of the same, then what can you say at that point? Then it's just, then it's just the definition of insanity, which is repeating the same task and expecting a different result. So for Arthur Smith and the gang, if De- if Desmond Ritter doesn't ball out on Sunday, then there needs to be a very, very serious conversation had at Flowery Branch that some would argue should have happened already. Last one here. Looking at the Falcon stats right now, uh, David Onyemata, two and a half sacks. Calais Campbell, two sacks. Grady Jarrett, one and a half sacks. Bud Dupree, two sacks. Arnold Ebicady, one and a half sacks. Lorenzo Carter, two sacks. True or false? The Falcons will have five players at season's end with at least five sacks. Ooh. Hmm. Well, here's how I'll approach this question. Who would I have thought it would have been at the beginning of the season? And have they lived up to that as of now? So I would have told you Caden Ellis would have been one. He has one sack. I would have told you that Grady Jarrett would have been another. I would have told you that Bud Dupree would have been another. I would have told you that, mm, see, now we're starting to get a little thin here. Uh, maybe Troy Anderson, but he's not going to, he's obviously not. And, uh, I mean, if Calais still has enough left in the tank, but based on what I've seen so far, I'm going to say false, but that's not necessarily like an indictment on the defense because they've played, they've played so well, A, and B, I don't think there was a lot of players initially on that list that I would have said that for to start the season. So I'm not sitting here sweating bullets over it because I don't think it necessarily would have been that way anyway. But the the sack totals for the team right now are just not where they need to be. What I know they've had eight in the last two weeks. What do they have total? 12, 14? 13. 13. Okay. So you extrapolate that out to the end of the season, and you're looking at, what, 38? Somewhere around that number, which is a lot better than the last couple of years, but still not 
what you need to be in one of the, you know, the Eagles had 70 last season, which is not anywhere where I'm expecting the Falcons to be. But just to show you what an elite, elite defense does with sack total numbers to be between 35 and 40, I, I, I would take that. But it's not like, oh, my God, I can't believe the turnaround in sack numbers. But it is what it is. All right, Big O, good job on the five Falcons, true, false. When we get back, let's talk all things dogs and gators. Connor Riley from Dog Nation joins us next. Sports Radio 929 The Game, Odyssey app. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. We are just about two hours away from kickoff. Georgia, Florida, getting underway in what should be a very, very interesting contest for both the Dogs and the Gators. Georgia coming off that bye. They're going to be Sons, Brock Bowers. What is that offense going to look like? Well, let's find out as we head out to the WadeFort.com hotline. You hear him every Monday on Dukes and Bell, and he's nice enough to join me here on a Saturday. Connor Riley, how are you, sir? I'm doing good. How about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing great. So, obviously, let's start with the biggest, maybe not even concern at this point, because UGA has certainly had enough time now to install a new game plan without Brock Bowers. But what could we expect this offense to look like without the biggest security blanket for Carson Beck? Yeah, I think you're going to see this team try and spread the ball around, you know, get the ball to the wide receivers a bit more. Marcus Roseman, Jack Saint, Lad McConkey, who is further healthy after the week off, after he's been dealing with a back injury. You've got Dominic Lovett, who really played a big part in the win over Vanderbilt. I think those are the types of options that you're going to see, along with, I think, Georgia leaning on the ground game a little bit. You've seen Florida give up some explosive runs, and I think Dejon Edwards is a guy who could potentially have a very big day uh, running behind this offensive line for Georgia. You just mentioned Dejon Edwards. Wanted to ask you about him. Do you think he's established himself now as sort of the lead back for this team? Yeah, I do. Even with uh, Kenna Milton back healthy for this team, and we're expecting him to go full force today. I, I think Dejan Edwards, what he brings to this offense and his ability to gain four or five yards with every carry, always seems to be moving forward. I think is incredibly valuable for keeping this offense uh, sort of on track and in the right down and distance so that they're not often behind the sticks. And, and I think that ability, along with the fact that he gets better over the course of the game, which is, I think, something Georgia wants to lean into, makes him a really nice complementary option to this offense. Aside from the tangible numbers from Carson Beck, which we've seen improve week over week, he's got 2,100 yards, 12 touchdowns, only four picks, an 81 rating. What have you seen from him on and off the field week in and week out that's allowed his game to grow? Yeah, obviously he's a guy who's been in the program for a while, and I'll be really interested in seeing what we see from him today. Obviously him coming back to Jacksonville, where he's from, uh, you know, it's a big rivalry game that he obviously wants to come out and play with play well in and you know there is some pressure on his shoulders to go out there and perform without Brock Bowers and so I'm going to be really interested in seeing how he sort of navigates this I think the big thing for him is going to be not turning the ball over and you know I think four turnovers in the last three games for him 
if he's able to limit turnovers, I think that's really going to help Georgia out in this game because the only way teams really seem to score on defense on Georgia's defense nowadays is on short field. So if he can do that, I think that's going to go a long way in helping Georgia come up with a big rivalry win today. Talking all things Georgia and Florida with our buddy Connor Riley. Check him out on Dog Nation. The other quarterback in this game has come along a lot in the past couple of weeks. Graham Mertz has had a uh, slow start to this campaign, but he's really picked it up lately. What do you think he's going to be able to do against Georgia's defense? Yeah, I'm going to be really interested in seeing how Florida tries to attack this Georgia defense. Obviously, they're a run-first option. Uh, you know, wanting to lean on their ground game there. But, you know, if you're going to try and nickel, dime, nickel and dime your way down the field against this Georgia team, good luck. Uh, I don't necessarily know if that's going to be a successful recipe there. And Mertz, well, yes, he's put up good, you know, counting stats. He's a guy who isn't all that aggressive. And so while he doesn't make a lot of mistakes, I also don't know how much he necessarily puts this offense in an advantage to take, take advantage of what maybe Georgia can be a glitchy secondary at times. So I'm going to be really interested in seeing how he plays and how aggressive he is for Florida in this game. When, when you look at the schedule, Connor, obviously you got Florida and then you have three really, really important games against ranked opponents and number 16, Missouri, number 12, Ole Miss, and then number 21, Tennessee. How big of a litmus test game is this for Georgia as they get ready to take on their toughest part of the schedule? Yeah, I, I'm going to be really interested in seeing how this Georgia team starts, you know, coming off the off week there, and obviously Florida is as well, but I think this is a team that knows there's a chance to go out and really make a statement without Brock Bowers today. And this is a game where I think because of the way Florida plays, you know, they want to try and make this into a four-quarter contest. And if you're a Georgia team, I think the big thing is going to be starting fast, like you saw against Kentucky. And if you're able to make this Florida offense sort of one-dimensional where they're going to have to try and throw their way back into it, I think that's going to be a massive advantage for Georgia on Saturday. When you look at the Florida defense, uh, they've been, you know, they've shown it's a flashy but not consistent defense, in my opinion. What do you think the Georgia offense will be able to do in terms of putting up points? Do you expect this to be a low-scoring affair or a high-scoring affair? I believe Georgia's favored by 14, which is a pretty big number. Yeah, I'll be interested in seeing uh, how, how often Georgia's able to hit on explosive plays. I believe they're first in the country in plays of 20 yards or more. And if they're able to hit on that consistently, like they've shown to at times this season, I think that's going to make them very tough for the Florida defense. But granted, again, that's with Brock Bowers being out there. And with him not out there, uh, it does change the geometry of the field a little bit in the way that Georgia is trying to attack that. So I'm going to be really interested in seeing how they play this. I think they probably want to lean on the run, especially in the second half there. And if that's the case, I would maybe tend to it being you know, something along the lines of like 31-14, 31-17 in that ballpark. All right, so looking off the field now, so there was a narrative going around this week, Connor, that frankly I don't understand, and that is when the first college football playoff rankings come out that there's a large majority of people that are saying on all, a lot of national platforms that Georgia won't be ranked number one. Help me understand why people are saying that. Well, I think, one, you look at Georgia's resume, their most impressive win right now is probably over Kentucky, and we'll find out just how good Kentucky is when they play Tennessee this week. Whereas you look at Ohio State, they've got wins over Penn State, Notre Dame. You've got a Michigan team that also hasn't played anybody but has looked, in my opinion, a lot more impressive on a week-to-week basis with what they've been able to show. In fact, there may be a Washington as well there with their resume. Uh, I understand where people are coming from there and the fact that Georgia hasn't played a great schedule and hasn't always been the most dominant team, uh, I think lends, it to the, lends itself to that. But I, I think this is a Georgia team that comes out and plays to up, up to its potential today. You could very well see them ranked number one you know, on those first college football playoff rankings, which come out on Tuesday.
Yeah, it's just so interesting for me to see because what is it, 23, 24 wins in a row, two national championships, their last loss coming in 2021 against Alabama in the SEC title game. It's almost like, well, none of that matters just because we're looking at this year. I guess that's how it's supposed to work, but at the same time, it's a little eye-opening and head-scratching. Right. You know, I think this is sort of people of them holding Georgia's past success against them, where in the past their A game has looked so dominant that uh, the fact that we haven't seen that all that, that often this year, I think it's being held against Georgia a little bit as opposed to some of the other teams out there and the standard at which they're being judged against. Looking at the rest of the ACC here as we're wrapping up our conversation with Connor Riley of Dog Nation kickoff in just about two hours from now, Florida and Georgia, which should be a very entertaining ball game. Don't look now, but Alabama's starting to look like their old selves, especially on defense. Are we headed, in your opinion, for another Alabama-Georgia final? If I had to go that, if I had to make a prediction today, I would say, yeah, you're going to see an 11 and one Georgia versus 12 and or 12 and 0 Georgia rather versus an 11 and one Alabama in the SEC championship game. Uh, that game next week against LSU is going to be really interesting. That LSU offense is explosive, but that defense is just not where it needs to be. And I think this is an Alabama team where I think we've seen enough of them now. It's not always going to be pretty. There's going to be some turnovers. There's going to be some ugly moments. But they find a way to win, not dissimilar to, I think, maybe that 2021 Georgia team. Again, that 2021 Georgia team, a lot more talented, a lot higher upside. But they found ways to win, even when it wasn't always pretty. And I think maybe you're seeing something similar from that Alabama team. Now, something a little off the wall here, but I know we mentioned it on Dukes and Bell, and I think it's worth mentioning here. Georgia basketball, men's basketball, landed a really big recruit this week, and it's a testament to the program that Mike White is trying to build, Connor. Yeah, uh, Asanul, five-star prospect uh, uh, from Montverde Academy, originally an Athens, Georgia product, but uh, a, a nice recruiting win there for Mike White and company as he continues to try to build out that program. It's going to be a really interesting year for Mike White in terms of you know what strides is he able to make there. They come in 11th last year, 16 and 16, and so if you see further positive steps along with what we've seen on the recruiting trail, again, you know, Georgia's got a long way to go into building a consistently successful program but you've seen Mike White take the necessary first steps to, to building this program into where it ultimately wants to be. Yeah, I think it's going to be a really interesting season for Coach White and the Dogs, who I think they'll be better than they were last year just because of some continuity and the direction that the program is growing in. All right, all right, Connor, great stuff. Appreciate you. As always, we'll hear from you in just a couple of days on Dukes and Bell. Yep, can't wait. All right, Connor Riley there from Dog Nation. I think this game is going to be really, really entertaining. I think – I do think Georgia's going to come out slow. That, If you want a little bit of a hot take from me right now, a couple of hours before this game gets underway, I wouldn't be surprised if Georgia has another start where it's maybe seven points in the first quarter, maybe 10 to 14 at the half, and then in the second half, Kirby gives them a reminder of who they are and where they need to be and what this team and what this organization has built and where they're trying to go because something just happens with this Georgia team, this iteration of it, where it's almost like – you always joke around in sports like basketball where does do the player or does the player have that second gear, have that next level gear that they can go to LeBron James or Kevin Durant or Steph Curry in the playoff. The guys that are able to come up in the biggest moments just always seem to have ice in their veins. And 
It seems like this Georgia squad is doing that this season, but they're doing it to themselves. They're forcing themselves to have to turn on the Jets in a lot of these games because of the way that they're playing in the first half and not playing up to the standards that they've set for themselves as back-to-back national champions. All right, when we come back, how about a little sound check? We've done a lot of Falcons, a lot of Georgia, a lot of Hawks, but there is a full slate of NFL action coming up this weekend, and we'll give you all the latest, including... Is he going to play or is he not going to play? It's getting a little crazy. We'll talk about it next. Sports Radio, 99 The Game, Odyssey app. Big thanks to Connor Riley for stopping on the show. Always a great time chatting with him. You'll hear him on Dukes and Bell on Monday recapping what is hopefully another Georgia win as the cocktail party is set to get underway in just under two hours from now. All right, there is so much stuff going on in the NFL right now, it can make your head spin. Because we got quarterbacks who aren't playing, we got running backs who want out, we got receivers who want out. We got scandal. We got drama. And this is why the NFL is the absolute best. This is why there's no league that can touch it. Because week in and week out, the product on the field and the storylines off the field just give us a never-ending fountain of content that we cannot eat up fast enough as they can spit it out to us. All right. With that, Big O, let's hit a sound check. Chris reacts to the best sounds from the best athletes and coaches in the A. And beyond. You're not listening. It's time for Sound Check on the other side of the glass. Sports Radio 92.9, The Game. Somebody who definitely isn't listening right now is Deshaun Watson. Now, none of us really know what's going on behind the scenes in Cleveland right now, but it is a funky situation we got going on because the former star quarterback, Passed concussion protocol last week, but he didn't go back in the game because he's got a shoulder injury, and they're trying to do what's best for him, but he could have played, so it's he said, he said, she said, BS, and that's the key phrase there. It's a lot of what appears to be narrative spinning and and Coach Stefanski spooling out what's going on on the days of our lives out there in Cleveland. It is a soap opera day in and day out because they paid that man a guaranteed contract of $230 million coming off of one of the bigger scandals a quarterback has ever faced in NFL history. They spat in the face of that and then have gotten essentially nothing, to quote Carl Dukes, nothing in return. So this was Kevin Stefanski after the game last week about what he thought Deshaun Watson's status would be against Seattle this week. He's our starter moving forward. He's our starter in Seattle. It's always going to be my decision to protect our players. So is he going to practice this week? Well, I mean, it's Sunday, so I'll update you guys later. Uh, Hey, Big O, you know what's not happening on Sunday? Deshaun Watson playing. There it is. There's the $64,000 question. Deshaun Watson will miss his fourth game already. So where's this franchise going Miles Garrett is having an all-world season right now. Their defense is really good despite giving up 39 to the Colts last week. They've been playing really, really well. Their running back situation is what it is when you lose Nick Chubb. But Kareem Hunt's filled in admirably coming home there to, to Cleveland. He's had his own troubles off the field as well. But what is the state of this franchise right now? I mean, they are just sort of withering in the wind right now with 
Deshaun Watson not living up to any penny of that contract, and the big money isn't even kicking in yet. They are absolutely screwed there in Cleveland. It is tough to be a Browns fan right now because you are counting on P.J. Walker to go out there and sling the rock around and win you games when you thought you'd have a guy that was going to be a perennial MVP candidate. I mean, aren't we glad here in Atlanta that we didn't dip our toe into that water? Thank you very much, everyone who was clamoring for Mr. Watson at the time. Well, hindsight being 2020 and all of that, I still think I would rather be in the Falcons position than the Browns position because at least if Desmond Ritter doesn't work, he's cheap and very cheap at that being a third round pick. All right. Josh Allen, before going into the Thursday night game, made a declarative statement. And we'll listen and we'll hear if he was able to back it up. You know, our season's not over. It's a long season. You know, it feels pretty bleak right now, but, um, you know, we're, we're going to figure it out. And they did. They were able to go, uh, I believe that game was actually at home. Tampa came to them on Thursday night, and they were able to survive in advance. Oren, I did get that pick, by the way, that nice little backdoor cover. They had two fourth down penalties on that last drive. Two fourth down penalties. Sure did. Absolutely. Almost threw my TV at the remote control. But yeah, two fourth down penalties. Wait, 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 wait. I think you got to switch. The, you got to flip that and reverse it. And through, almost through my remote of the team. Yes, because I, I don't know. That would have been. I was. Very, I was frustrated. Just yes. say that I was very frustrated. Um. So for those who aren't picking up what we're putting down every Monday and Thursday, I do the little shorty bridge show from seven to seven thirty right here on Sports Radio ninety two nine. The game leading you into our Monday and Thursday night coverage, and Orn and I, right before the show ends every week, we pick the games. And there is a bottle of liquor of the winner's choosing on the line. So there are stakes involved in this. And Oren had a nice little one-game lead until he decided to think that Buffalo was back. A 14-point lead in that game at that, yeah. Yeah, and take the 10 points. And I said, nay, nay. I said, give me the Tampa Bay Bucks to hang on, lose the game, but cover. And they did exactly that. But that leads me to my discussion point. What the heck is going on in Buffalo? They look kind of broken right now. It's like Josh Allen is reverting back into a pumpkin and he's throwing all sorts of bad interceptions again and making dumb reads and the defense isn't as good as we thought it was going to be. And things just don't seem right in Buffalo. And with that division being the way that it is with the Jets hanging on and Miami being really good and the Patriots are always a pain in the butt. And even though they're not very good, they play their division tough. They got to be a little bit worried right now with the state of that team. I am not impressed at all with what the Buffalo Bills have done so far this season. I mean, they could pick up a head of steam at any point. Josh Allen will be a perennial MVP candidate for the next decade. He's that good. But right now it just doesn't look like things are cooking the way they need to in Buffalo. All right, this next one is fun because Jonathan Allen, after taking a loss last week, one of the star defensive linemen for the Washington Commanders, basically said, hey, I am sick, I am tired, I am frustrated. Kind of get me out of this place. Does it get frustrating when that team yes, does? I'm f***ing tired of this f***ing tired of this bull It's been seven years of the same Tired of this What can you do now going forward to get it turned around? Get our minds right and get ready to play Philadelphia. <laughs> I mean, Jonathan, tell us how you really feel, my goodness. Fortune to the swear jar there, buddy. Yeah, my goodness, I mean... Yikes. 
listen, he's a really good player. He's a leader on that team. And he was caught in a raw moment after a game. It happens. But that sort of sums up the state of that franchise for the last, I don't know, decade and a half. When did RG3 lead into the playoffs? Was that like 2012, 2013? I mean, that was that was the last time that team was any sort of relevant as far as I'm concerned. Um, they're putting a lot behind Sam Howell. They're putting a lot behind uh, a shaky offensive line and a decent receiving core led by Terry McLaurin, who's you know perennial pro, pro bowler. But outside of that, I mean – that team is kind of just man right now too. I mean the the Eagles and the Cowboys are both better than them in in the division. We'll see what happens with the Giants, but in terms of the Commanders, I mean Jonathan Allen, I mean oof, I hope he went and had a nice relaxing evening after that. It sure sounded like he needed it. A nice dinner and go to bed early. All right, next up, Dan Campbell. Hmm. What the heck happened to the Lions last week? They got absolutely smoked. Nobody saw that coming. And Lamar Jackson put himself in the MVP race after his performance. Dan Campbell, what did your Lions do? Lamar beat us. He hammered us with his arm, you know. He threw the ball extremely well. He ran when he needed to. And we did not handle it well. No, you did not, my good sir. So the Lions now, because now here's the problem. Whenever a team that starts to play well that's just coming online like that, anytime they get sort of smashed down to reality, everyone brings up the narrative. I'm sure Detroit, if you listen to Detroit Sports Talk Radio all week, I'm sure this was the discussion point. Are the Lions for real? Are the Lions for real or did they just get exposed? It's probably somewhere in the middle. Are they a Super Bowl contender? Maybe. Are they a playoff contender? Absolutely. But if they're able to get beaten like that, Jared Goff was awful. The defense, which had been really good, got absolutely torched. Was that a recipe to get them exposed, or was it just an off week? And that's the narrative that these teams need to face when you're not, you know, the Chiefs or another team that is perennially good at this point, the Eagles. If the Eagles have a bad game like they did against the Jets, it's not, oh, my God, is their season over? You know, are they – finally getting exposed, it's you shake it off and you move on to the next week. But when you're a team like the Lions that hasn't been there, done that, and as a matter of fact has been a laughing stock in the league for a long, long time, people are going to have questions for you. Another team that has a lot of questions surrounding it, the Pittsburgh Steelers. Mike Tomlin, what's the state of your team right now? Obviously, we got to clean up some things from a management of our emotions, but I would much rather say woe than sick them. Uh, we got some guys that are competitors. Uh, they just got to compete in the appropriate and mature and professional way. Uh, we use it as a learning experience. It's good to learn while sitting at four and two as opposed to three and three. I'd much rather say woe than sick them. That is a great line from Coach Tomlin right there. Listen, I think the Steelers are in a transition period, but they're just such a good organization and so well run that. Even when they're down, they're still 4-2 and two and competing for a division spot right now, and they're going to compete for a playoff spot. I don't think they're going to fall completely out of it because I don't think Cincinnati in that division is as good as they've, they've been. Cleveland's obviously down right now. Baltimore's tough, but I think the rest of that division is not really going to present much of a challenge for them. So Coach Tomlin, again, I think is going to be in a position to lead his team into a playoff spot at the end of the, at the, end of the season, and that's really all you can ask for. But at the same time, this is not the Steelers that we've seen for the past 10, 15, even 20 years with Big Ben leading the charge and Antonio Brown and Le'Veon Bell and winning Super Bowls and all that and even going back to the late 
late years of Jerome Bettis. This team is just different right now. They don't have the collective stars on offense that we've seen that that team have for the better part of two decades, and they're just adjusting right now. Another team that's adjusting are the Minnesota Vikings. They are on an upswing right now. They're a team that is ascending, not falling, after starting off really, really poorly, which has led to a lot of the conversation around Danielle Hunter heating up and then cooling off because it doesn't look like they're in a position right now where they necessarily need to sell. But if they're not going to re-sign Kirk Cousins and they're basically going to start over with Justin Jefferson and a bunch of guys, then maybe they will anyway. But here's Kirk Cousins talking about Jordan Addison and his great touchdowns. Bring a blitz there, and, and they were kind of zeroed out in the back end, and uh, I had to throw it earlier than I wanted to, and I didn't really know where to lead him. And so I was like, I don't want to overlead him. And then what I did was I underled him. And so you allow the DB then to undercut it, and I thought it was getting picked. And uh, Jordan, I still don't quite know. I haven't seen it in slow motion. I still don't know how Jordan came away with it. And then because they were kind of zeroed out, once he pulls away, there's nobody left. So a big, big time play by him. I don't care what you say. Kirk Cousins is a damn good quarterback, man. Just go look at his stats alone. I know the stats don't tell everything, but he's a guy that if he was on a franchise that was ready to win a Super Bowl right now, he could easily lead them. Like, if if Brock Purdy doesn't get healthy in San Francisco and straighten it out and get back to the quarterback he was last year and Sam Darnold doesn't work out, I would have done everything in my power if I'm Minnesota and San Francisco before before the trade deadline on Tuesday to see if I can make a deal happen. Because if you put Kirk Cousins on the 49ers right now, that team is rolling to a Super Bowl. I think they're taking down the Eagles easily, and there's no other team in the NFC that I'm afraid of. Speaking of Brock Purdy, well, he had a game-sealing interception. It wasn't good, and he talked about it. Yeah, it was just a bad ball. Uh, J.J. did a good job on his route, and D-line got a, a good push on us, and I sort of just was trying to anticipate the throw. At the end of the day, it was a bad ball, and obviously I, I threw it too far ahead of him. So. Yeah, 49ers needs to get back online. They haven't looked like themselves the past couple of weeks. I believe Brock Purdy is in the process of trying to, to clear concussion protocol right now, and if he does, I believe he's expected to play, according to some reports that were coming out this morning. But if not, it'll be the former Jet and Panther and USC Trojan, Sam Darnold, who will get another shot in this league to prove that he could play quarterback. Listen, I'm a Jets fan. A lot of you guys know that. When he was drafted by the Jets, there was so much hope and promise around him, and he showed flashes a lot like Desmond Ritter, except he was picked like third overall instead of in the third round, so there's a little bit of a difference. But he also had a tendency to throw that game-sealing interception or fumble the ball on the one-yard line, a lot like Desmond Ritter has done. So that's why he's bounced around in his career, but he may get another shot with a team that, like we've been talking about, is ready to win a Super Bowl. All right, one more. Nick Sirianni on the tush push, one of the great lines in the NFL this season, the tush push. It's got a great name, but there's a lot of controversy around it because a lot of people are saying it's an unfair advantage for the linemen to just essentially throw their body weight around and shove Jalen Hurts past either the goal line or the first down marker or whatever they're trying to do. This was the coach on their famous play. You've seen it across the league that people can't do it like we can do it. They can't do it like we can do it. And uh, and so I'm making my plug right there. Like, don't, don't ban this play. Like, if everyone could do it, everybody would. Where's the camera? If everybody could do it, everybody would do it. Ha, 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 Nick Sirianni. Very, very funny of you, sir. 
I guess you can sort of try to unleash your very, very unique brand of humor when you got your team to a Super Bowl last year. But at the end of the day, maybe they'll review it in the offseason and change it, but nothing's going to happen this season. Defenses just need to find a way to stop it. And until they do, the Eagles will keep getting first downs and touchdowns by having their quarterback shoved into the end zone or past the first down marker. All right, when we come back, Dom C., our buddy, will be taking over the reins. We'll say hello to him. Plus, what did the Falcons have to say ahead of their matchup on Sunday versus the Titans? We'll let you hear from the coach. We'll let you hear from the QB and much, much more. Don't go anywhere. We're halfway home already on a Saturday. Sports Radio, 92 on the game. Odyssey app. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ookla speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. We all agree that reducing carbon emissions is a good thing. And once again, Toyota is leading the way. We hear a lot about fully electric vehicles. And Toyota has them with more on the way. But we also know a BEV is not for everyone, whether it's because of cost, range, or concern about finding a charging station when you need it. Plus, the raw materials used to manufacture batteries are limited. Enter Beyond Zero, Toyota's vision for a carbon-neutral future. In vehicles and in manufacturing plants, too, in the years ahead. The materials used to make just one long-range battery for an EV could be used to make batteries for six plug-in hybrids or 90 gas-electric hybrids. That's why Toyota's position today is electrified diversified, empowering you to choose how to reduce your own carbon footprint with the vehicle that's right for you. A hybrid, plug-in hybrid, or battery EV. So shop, learn more, and get details at toyota.com slash beyond zero. Toyota, let's go places. I'm Tony Kornheiser. This is my show. My friends come on. We talk about basketball now, golf, and the metronome of your life, baseball. Whether it's opening day, the big tournament, or one of the majors, we have the best to preview it and break down just what happens. Listen on the Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts.